As we get ready for our first This Is Your Life interview, and we welcome Leslie and Glennis. I'm Glennis, sometimes known as Leslie. I'm Leslie, sometimes known as Glennis. And we happen to be twins, just in case you're thinking you're saying double. Your glasses are working, you don't need to go to Specsavers. No, it's not about us, it's about our special guest tonight. We have spared no expense in bringing him, absolutely none, because he only lives around the corner. We're going to welcome up Stephen Bell. <laughs> So, Stevie, is this on? Just to get you to relax a wee bit and get the serious stuff later, tell us That's about Liverpool this afternoon. Sorry? Tell us about Liverpool this afternoon. That's the right answer. That's the right answer. But the Drew one each was a bad result. But. Right. And I missed it because of the race around here to see you two glorious girls. So. You said all the things. Now, here's know. a Give few questions. Give me 10 minutes, I'll sort that out. Some questions for you. We're going to start off easy, okay? So, you've just to tell us. What you can I turn my back to these people, or do I have to face them? Do you, you can you they're can face them, but you don't have to look at them. Okay, no, they're lovely people. Look at them. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, so, good, good. tell us what one you like the best: Coke or Diet Coke? Coke. Skirts or dresses? <laughs> Some nice skirts. I like skirts. Yeah. <laughs> and dresses. And dresses. Talker or listener? What do you like, or who am I? Who are you? I'm a good talker, sorry, talker. talker. <laughs> early bird or night oil? Um, I'd be an early bird, I think, yeah. Man United or Arsenal? Ways up. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody but Man U? Yeah, exactly. Uh, wait a say red sauce or brown? Ah, a bit of both, a bit of both, yeah. yeah. Just, shorts yeah. or speedos? Oh, definitely a shorts one, like, definitely a shorts one. Um, carry out or Deborah's cooking? I love carrying it. Our porridge is good, but our porridge We is know you're a porridge. spark, so we're asking this one. Cash in hand or a bank transfer? <laughs> bank transfer. <laughs> bank, bank transfer, I'm at church. Right answer. <laughs> Ashley or Melissa? <laughs> Don't answer. Don't answer. Yeah, no, right. I'll not answer that one, but both of them, answer. Well Typical twins. Typical twins. I understand where you come from. Well done, Stevie. Right, we've got a lovely picture of you up here. I just saw it up there. I don't want to look sport, at it. Sport, sporting more hair and a little moustache. I don't even know when that was. Answer, I don't. And there's even oh, more hair. Oh, well, that's more like it. I wasn't a panto, was it? It certainly was. The pan Who did you play in the panto? I played the king. The king. Is that what you aspire to be? There's only one king <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. It's certainly not me. Oh, certainly not me. Certainly not me. <laughs> And I think we might have a wee photo of you with some of your sib... No, they're not your siblings. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> There we go. Yeah. So yeah. this is you with Father Christmas and your two brothers. That is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Michael Martin, yep. yep. Okay, which one are you? I'm the one, two, the tallish, the tall one, yeah, tall one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Okie dokie, Stephen. So when you were growing up with your brothers, yeah. was there any Christian influence around you, not just at that young age, but even coming up to teenagers um, within your family or extended family? Uh, there wasn't actually. I sort of uh, grew up in a non-Christian home, and I grew up in uh, Kinross Avenue. I was actually born in the Shankill, so Tommy McGugan would love that. Tommy, Tuber Guild Street, mate, yep. 
but I was only two when I moved away from the mirror, moved into Tully Carnage, so there was absolutely no influence of a Christian-based thing that I, I grew up in just a non-Christian family. But as I grew older, obviously, as probably a lot of people in here, just get sent to Sunday school, basically, when they got to any age, and joined the usual stuff, the Cubs, the Scouts, the BB. And I, I honestly believe there was some sort of a wee, even though I didn't know it at the time, but, but just by getting into church, there must have been just something there in the early days, because I'll be totally honest with you, even at a young age and as I got older into my teenage years, any time I walked into church, as I say, in a non-Christian place, just walking in from that, I just felt something, just at ease, and I was certainly nowhere near wanting to be a Christian, I think, because it didn't interest me. But when I went into any church, I just felt a sort of an ease or a, a contentment of some sort. Looking back on it now, it certainly was maybe just a something that was being planted in me. didn't grow and didn't come to fruition until obviously later on, but it may have been certainly in the early days. Like. And is it true you used to go into Storm at Presbyterian on a winter night just to get some heat? <laughs> Actually did. I remember, uh, somebody give you inside information. <laughs> did that come from me? But well, I used to remember um, from Tully Carnick, just a quick down to Summerhill, we had it knocked about down in there with boys and girls and um, Stormmount, Stormmount Presbyterian used to be open, well, used to be open, <laughs> used to be on a Sunday night, and we had a walked up by it. And I heard the music sometimes coming out, and obviously we were at Baltic in the middle of December, so we said, look, there's a bit of heat in there, let's go in there and get some heat. So on a Sunday service in the evening, we had a, four or five of us would have walked in, stood at the back, and just for heat, basically. But again, if I had walked in there in the church, I just felt it was, there was something there, you know. And, didn't again, just the following week when it went up, but it was only for heat again. It wasn't for anything else until later on, you know, so, yeah. Now, moving on swiftly, I know you are married to the beautiful Deborah, sitting down yeah, there. And there. you have two gorgeous girls. I, I think see Melissa, my twin girls, and my mother-in-law, Peggy Russell, is there as well. I think there's so, a wee photo yeah. of the girls when they were very tiny. That you can obviously pride daddy there with his two girls. That's them, yeah. Now, I know these girls have grown up to be two beautiful Christian girls. They do. Did they have any influence over you whenever they were slightly younger, growing up in their teenage years? Absolutely, absolutely. Big, big influences. I mean, that's, I must thank I say Melissa, believe it or not, because even though that maybe church was maybe in my blood somewhere along the line, but com coming here for the GB displays, in fact, the GB displays, I first went to watch them, was down in um, Garneville Presbyterian, and they were in there, and then I see Melissa grew up. Their mom, who I was married to at the time, actually remarried to Deborah, but she was also a leader in the GB, so I was there in all the GB displays, and I loved that. And then obviously when I, is this still on, yeah? And when I see Melissa um, started to grow up, <laughs> just in case I don't need it, too loud, but um, when they grew up, just becoming Christian girls as they were, just wee things that I watched them. Again, I backed off. The only time I was in church was... GB displays, basically, yeah, and the usual funerals and weddings. So I didn't pursue anything, but they were just an example to me growing up to say, look, I mean, I was so thankful that they were being brought up in church. Yeah, because I wasn't brought up in church and I did the, the pub thing and all that, whereas, and that's, you know, no disrespect to anybody that has done it, but I mean, you know, I see Melissa didn't do that. So and I was so thankful because I seen exactly what way it could have led me, which thank goodness, and I believe God's hand was on me, that it didn't lead me into bad, bad stuff. Enough bad stuff that I was sort of maybe influenced by alcohol to a certain extent, but not a big, big, massive, big drinker, but certainly times where I did have maybe a drink too many, there was things that you could get into. Thank goodness, because God's hand was on me, I didn't, but I was glad to see I'm not growing up in the same sort of environment that I came up in, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Stevie, 2009, that was a big year for you. It um, was, it was, yeah. Tell us a wee bit about how friends and sport changed your life in 
2009 was, uh, again, I was probably going through a stage where I was with Deborah. We were, we were together for 15 or 16 years now, I think, and we're married five. But before that, um, Deborah didn't do the pub things or whatever. I was playing football, maybe getting into the pub after it, and Deborah picking me up. But eventually, just to cut a long story short, I was just getting fed up. But it all it was just sort of... It has to be, I mean, this, you've probably heard this old cliche before and things like that, but it has to be more than this, and it had to be because I was just bored with everything. So leading up and leading up to that, and I remember it very, very well. And I played a wee bit of golf, not greatly at it, but more football. I was more of a footballer. And, well, I said footballer. I played football, sorry, Michael Mays was just about to... What's, your, you what's, what's your handicap, by the way? At the minute, it's 12, but that's, that's probably not really greatly. But, <laughs> but I remember in 2009, 2009 was... A super year for me for the simple reason being I drifted away from well I tried to drift away from all that stuff that I was doing pub stuff and it was actually Bobby Matheson just a, a quick story just before um, Bobby Bobby Matheson was actually the guy that got me to go to Bangarilam Church and it's so funny I was on a job one Monday afternoon down in Crawfordsburn and I walked on the beach at lunchtime just to have a sandwich up and down the beach I remember walking up and down the beach and I seen this guy walking towards me, maybe a hundred yards away from me. You know way people, you don't see a face, but you know a walk. You know you know a dander. You know somebody's. You know somebody's one. I seen that, this fellow walking up, and he says, "I know that walk. He's walking a wee dog." And um, it got closer and closer and closer. And we got to each other, and he, he says, "Beller, Stephen Bell." And he says, "I call Megamil. Call him. What about him, mate? He was in the police. Well, he wasn't in the police, but he wasn't in his uniform. He was out walking in the beach. But we stopped waffling away, waffling away, <laughs> waffling away. You know, and uh, he didn't have a handover or anything driving up a beach or anything. You know." It's, <laughs> But um, so we're waffling away, I'm waffling away to him, and how are you, mate? Blah, blah, blah. So after about half an hour or so, I'm right, I think he got one word in. I probably spoke for the 29 minutes, give him a minute. <laughs> but I said, look, I've got to get back to work here, and good to see you, mate, blah, blah, blah. And I, he says, look, just one thing before you go, I became a Christian. And I says, what? And I shook his hand, which I would do to anybody, and he says, good on you, mate. Happy days. You've got to be thankful for anybody that makes that step, yeah? So I was going to say I gave him a hug, but I didn't give him a hug because I don't do hugs. But I shook his hand and I said, I'm so pleased for him. And I says, good on me. And I said, look, what, what church do you go to? And he says, I go to Bangarilam. And I says, flip, my mate goes to Bangarilam, Bobby Matheson. And because me and Bobby knocked about together years ago, only Bobby went another road and went on a holiday for a while. And I just stayed about working that, away. Is that the big castle with the bars and the that's, windows? That's, that's probably where Bobby, that's where probably Bobby went to I for a bit. <laughs> good. Thank goodness I didn't follow him. I just stuck to my football. But um, so... Blah, blah. And I said, look, you know, tell, the next time you see Bobby, would you tell him that um, I'm asking about him? And Colin turned around to me and said, this was on Monday. Colin says, you never know, Stephen, you might see him before me. You might be in church talking. And I said, doubt it very much, mate, but all the best to him, tell him I was asking about him. And I, Bobby hadn't, call, I got a phone call on the Thursday. And Colin didn't see Bobby until the following Sunday. Out of the blue, well, obviously now I know that it wasn't out of the blue because it was influenced by God, there's no doubt about it. And I got a phone call, Bobby says to me, Stephen, do you fancy getting a four ball together? Bangor Elam's doing a fundraising thing to make money for their church and whatever, but you get a four ball together. Cut a long story short, yeah, I went. So I went down to, the, it was the following Thursday, and, and, and this is so funny because I obviously definitely know that God's hand was on me because he got me into third place out of 90 people and I could never have done that. So there's absolutely no way. So God was already working in me and he started to knock up the pace a wee bit. But anyway, so I went into the clubhouse after and we're all in, I had a beer, having a meal, whatever, and 90 people in there and Bobby got up, all got up. 
and to give the prizes and such like and whatever. And he turned around and said, my old mate Stephen, third prize, second prize, first prize went to such and such. But to claim your prize, you have to come down to Sunday, Sunday morning service in Bangarilam. And I says, ways up, Bobby, no chance. Hear me, give somebody else a prize, man, I'm not going to it. But then I thought about it and thought about it and I said, you know, and I came home and Deborah, Deborah met me at the door and says, well, how'd you go? And I says, I got third prize. And I says, well, what do you get? And she says, what do you get? You know, back in a bit of crystal or something or whatever. And I says, I don't know. She says, what are you talking about? And he says, I want my prize. I've got to go to Bangarilam Sunday morning and get it. And I says, well, I'm not going to go. And um, I just, she says, ways up. I mean, Bobby's your mate. After what he's bulbing through, he's now a Christian fella who's doing brilliant in Bangarilam. Stephen, you cannot not go. And I says, okay, well, we'll go then. She says, look, I'm out with my mum. I, I can't go with you, but... And I says, well, I'm not going to go on my own. But anyway, I'm, I'm trying to shorten this all because hopefully I'm not boring you. But, but um, I got Sam Matheson to come down. Sammy, Bobby's brother, I phoned him. Sam's not a, a Christian, but he was willing to come down. Make good on him. So we went away down to Bangarilla on that Sunday morning. As you do when you come in through a church for the very first time, you sit at the back. So nobody sees you, nobody hears you, and you just do what you have to do. And anybody's been in Bangarilla, you know it's a, it's a, and the stage is miles down the front so I'm sitting away at the back but I'll tell you what's he walking into the church that I walked in and I bumped into that many people that I worked with in shorts a shipyard played football with them they kicked me I kicked them and they're walking about and I said Billard what are you doing in here man I'm to get a prize what are you doing I said I'm a Christian now and I told him many people had became Christians in my absence when I didn't see them for years but they're running about in jeans and don't just touch me this can't be church I mean this I've always perceived church to be shirts and ties and hats and all that stuff, which I'm not knocking that. But I just felt so at ease again walking in this place. But anyway, sat at the back and um, there was music, worship music, just not as good as ours. Ours is up a notch, like, but I mean, but it was there. It was there, like it was good, it was good. But, but brilliant, absolutely amazing. I didn't, I didn't think they played guitars and drums and everything in church, you know, and I was up bouncing at the back. Honestly, goodness, and me Psalms looked at me, he says, are you all right? I says, I just can't help myself, it's brilliant. So I'm and then all of a sudden, praise givens and whatever, and of course it just dawned on me, here's me. What am I doing sitting, why did I not sit at the front, get up, get my praise and get back down again? I had to walk by 300 odd people to get my praise. My face was roaring. So I get up on the stage and, and bang around, bang around, they've got three pastors, so the three pastors sit together, which was Davey Baggett, Hugh Moore and Gary Peter, yeah. So I'm up there and Bobby's giving the praises out. And I know Hugh, I grew up with Hugh and Tully Cornet. And I'm, I'm totally embarrassed. I'm, my face is beaming like it really is. And I'm up there and the people are cheering and going nuts. And um, I get up on the stage to get my praise and Hugh Muir spotted me. He says, Bellard, well, he obviously seen me coming up. Like, and he says, Bellard, he got up of his and give me a, just grab me and give me a hug. And I says, you just see if you don't get away from me, I'm going to strangle you because there's 300 <laughs> people here. There's 300 people behind me here. I'm in bars as is, and you're giving me a hug on stage. Ways up. So he, I want to wait. No, he, he sat down again. I spoke to him later on. But and then I had to walk back up through the stuff. So that was my introduction. And I came home that night, just to cut a long story short again. I came home that night and I said to Deborah, we're going to church tonight. We're going back down to Bangarilam tonight. And we're back down to Bangarilam tonight. And I've been in church ever since. Ever since 2009, I've been in church. And thank goodness it was God's hand. It just shows you golf, sport, anything at all that can get people in through a door and let them see that what we are like as Christian people. They want to come back next week. That's exactly what happened to me. You know, I'm just, I always perceive people down there and by here in many of cases, either going to the cozy club or going to the Elk End or whatever it was, I always perceived Christians to be not my type of people, born people. And then in, the, in 2009, in the eight years or so that I've been in church, I've never had as much laughs, enjoyment, crack, banter than he ever did out in bars and going away on football weekends and all that stuff. Because you just wake up and you're, you're joyous. I mean, you really are. Whereas waking up back up there, you're going through the things that, what did you say and all that stuff, so. Brilliant. So 
you were in Bangor Elam and we managed to steal you away from Bangor Elam up to Dundonald. How did, did that come about and why? Um, it came about, I was only going to Bangor Elam about two or three months. Obviously, the automatic thing was to be here and we live around Church Road there, so it's a quick dander through the Moat Parker. But I was in, I'll tell you exactly how I could see it because this is exactly, I could see it in Bangor Elam. I could see it before I arrived here, but it was only two or three months down the line. I remember sitting in the congregation again, Deborah and I, and there's an altar call every time, you know, bowing the head and, and putting your hands up. And I was a sort of, not a skeptic or not a, a maybe a, a wee bit of a doubter. I don't do things just to sort of, if it happens, it happens to me, you know. And, and I was um, sitting down at the park and going week in and week out and week in and week out and seeing different people putting their hands up and whatever. Not seeing them because you're supposed to be your eyes are supposed to be closed, of course. <laughs> but I'll go up at the odd one or two. But it just the hands were going up and whatever. And then um, I remember one night, come, but I walked into church one Sunday evening and there was something just different. I don't know what it was. I couldn't tell what I know now, but I'd walked in and I just felt this. I just don't feel at, at, you know, at uneasy a wee bit here. So I sat down and blah, blah, blah. Everything went through the whole service and whatever. And at the end of it, it was the, the altar call. And I've never felt this. like My heart was actually coming out in my shirt. It was just bump, 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 bump. And all of a sudden, I couldn't. I just went, my hand was up right away because I knew I needed something then at the end of the day. And that's exactly when... They spoke to me after, I asked God into my heart, and that was on the 11th of October 2009 or something, and then it was me. That was me sort of on the road, on the road as such. You know, and I thank we Bobby too, because Bobby wrote me, a, I was going to bring a letter to, and read it to you, but it was about three hours long, but it took too long. But he got, wrote this letter, and all this is, I believe, the day he received. And, so, and it was just, for, I see Melissa say, influence me, and we come round here. I've seen the lovely people in here that were sort of so welcoming and everything. I knew Skin, Alan, I knew all, a lot of people in here, and I felt so at ease. So it was just an automatic move to... To come here, obviously, I see this had a big influence on me as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, and that's that's where I've been ever since. Yeah, brilliant. So yeah. you were saved in two thousand and nine, in yeah. October two thousand and nine. You yeah. ended up here. Yeah. How has life changed for you since then? Tonight, we see your names now in lights out the front, and Warren you've Welsh. been on the stage acting know. and everything. But how has how has God changed you as a person? Ah, uh, amazing. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, I was I, I was a sort of person. Not, not, I was never a bad bad person or. A, you know, a black and harder anything, but I was sort of a nice enough guy, but I mean, not, um, I'd have been quick to, quick to react, maybe a bit of a temper and things like that, you know, so, but generally speaking, I've softened, I've content, I'm so joyous, I mean, so happy now, I mean, I'm, I'm not a crier, like, at the end of the day, but there's times I've just felt like saying, I, I deserve this happiness, I mean, at the end of the day, how did this all come along, but it certainly brought me on, again, you hear this saying about, um, you know, we're a work in progress, and so we are, uh, but I've always used an excuse there of slump. You know, just, I've been just going slowly and slowly and doing this to myself, saying, I'll, I'll just go slowly, I'll go slowly, I'll take it easy, take it easy. But there's an excuse I've used for years, and I'm, you know, when people say, they say me, you know, I'd rather be on the road walking slow than not on it at all. And that's just an excuse, basically, to me, because at the end of the day, eight years down the line, I'm still, well, up until the last six months, I was still saying that. And you can't really say, you, can, you, you have to knock the pace up a wee bit, and I believe that recently, Rather than on the road walking slow, I'm, st I'm just feeling myself up here. It's not going to pace up for me, you know, at the end of the day. And I've even doing this here with you guys at the end of the day, it's not going to pace up for me. So I believe that that excuse of me using that for like, as long as I'm on the road walking slowly and not on it at all, you got to knock it up a wee bit, you know, you got to move on a wee touch, you know, so and just keep going. Just a wee, not a wee big touch, big touch, yeah. Big Thank touch, you. yeah. Stevie, it's 
fair to say that from your testimony that we've all heard tonight, your friends have influenced you, Bobby and Colin, who you met. Um, sport, simple invitation to come and play in a golf match, yeah, yeah, led yeah. to ultimately you becoming a Christian. Yeah. So if that's not a plug for the Golf Society on Friday, they invite a non-safe person to that match. I don't know what is. It, it does work. It does work. Maybe if it, in our Golf Society, there's been two people that have since came as non-Christians and got involved in a golf here and I Christian people. So it does, if it's only two, yeah. it's two, but I mean, it's better than none, you know, so at the end of the day, it, it does happen when there's more room for more, you know, so. And I think very yeah. often we all think to actually go and witness, we have to go and completely Bible bash somebody yeah, or whatever, yeah, but it just yeah. goes to show a warm welcome at a church door Absolutely. or an invite to a sporting event or any event that a church is holding. Yeah. You know, there's many, many ways to go out and win people for Christ. And Stevie is yeah. the example of that. Yeah. Stevie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Okay. Can, I, can I just say, sorry, just to hold I came, when I came to this church, we went to the Alpha course and I would advise anybody I mean, the Alpha course was superb for myself. There was myself, there was James Bell, there was Jock, there was Colin Ross, there was Tyler Ross, and we had a wee a group. And those four or five guys that I've just mentioned got saved at the Alpha course, and they're still here all those eight or nine years ago. So the Alpha course has certainly, you know, it's sorted us out, it's sorted them guys out. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's the way to go. If, if it ever arises again, it's something there that, not that I'm a big theologian, but you certainly get taught stuff there that, you didn't know before and, you know, just moves you on, basically. You it's know, a completely so. non-threatening environment to come and ask all the questions you've ever wanted uh, to ask. Absolutely. And, 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 and I don't know about anybody. I mean, I was, I, I was <laughs> so funny because I'll tell you what, I just feel so... so I could sit here for another hour to you talking to you people because at the end of the day... <laughs> David, I just sit where you are. If, I just feel as if I'm sort of there, all my mates out there and this is just sitting in a coffee shop having a coffee. I don't want to go in. I don't want, I'm not getting down, David. So unfortunately, David only gave us 15 minutes for this, so we'll have to all? cut it short. Well, I'm a bit disappointed in that because, in fact, I just want to bring up another thing while I'm here. Jean, we Jean said to me last week on the bus that she's going to bring a bag of tomatoes and hit me up the Iowa one. <laughs> Jean... I hope you didn't bring him tomatoes, love, because you didn't bring him. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. But no, that just shows you. It's just this, and this is the way church should be. Just confident, relaxed, having a chat with people. Because if Billy Graham walked in here, I'd sit down and have a yarn with him. You know, honestly, it doesn't. It, it's, it suits me. You know, it does. Suits me fine. You know. It's been an absolute delight. And it's been a pleasure to have you two interviewing me because you're. But we just want to tell you. The best is still yet to the come. The best is still to come. Yeah, yeah. And I thank everybody in here for welcoming me. Making me it easier, and I better get down because I'm telling you, I could go on and on and on. Stephen Bell, on, this is shopping. your life. Thank I think we should just let Stevie get up and preach. I think he'd, we'll get him up. We'll get him on the road sometime. Um, no, that's so, so good to really hear that story, Stevie, to get to hear your testimony. And is it good getting to hear someone's life just transform like that? It really, really is. And it is that encouraging thing to know that for a lot of people, a lot of even our young guys would, would be playing sport and to hear a bit of that story that honestly that God can use whatever it is that you're involved in, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you enjoy doing. Even if it's a hobby, God could use that. If we're willing to be open to letting God use whatever it is, we can see lives like that transform. So, so, so good to hear that. I just want to share 
a bit on that story of Stevie's story around this title of what's changed. What's changed? And I'm going to read a passage from 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible or a Bible app or an iPad or a phone or whatever, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to read five verses, starting at verse 16. And Paul's writing to the Corinthian church here. And Paul's writing to, to them. This is his second letter to them. And, and Corinth, the place of Corinth, was basically like an old day Las Vegas. That's the type of thing it would be. All day Las Vegas. It was really, it was crazy, this stuff going on. But at the same time, it was a, a place that was in the limelight a lot um, back then. And Paul's a good... He's a good relationship with the people of the Corinthian church, and he's trying to write into, he's trying to speak into some of their situations. And in chapter 16, Paul writes, or chapter 5, sorry, verse 16, Paul writes, so we, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to him no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so we've heard Stevie's story uh, and Glynis and Leslie asked the, the, the usual thing that what we like to do when we're hearing a testimony. Well, what was your life like before? Tell us how you got saved. And then what's changed? What's happened afterwards? Um, just because I know some people have been here. Has anyone celebrated a birthday this week? You. Anyone celebrated a birthday this month, the past month, September? Yep. And who's celebrating a birthday in October? Oh, some happy birthdays to come out. Great, I'll just give you all now a happy birthday. Um, I'm not a big fan of birthdays at all um, because there's just several things about birthdays I don't really like. I don't really like when people sing happy birthday because it has to be the most awkward 45 seconds of your life. Like we all know the song and we all know that when we sing it, like if it was Kelsey's birthday, we all look at her and we all happy birth. And you're just like, I don't know what to do. Like, you just don't know what to do with limbs. You're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, do I put them in my pocket? Do I like clap along? I just don't know. There's just awkwardness. And sometimes I've been so awkward when people sing happy birthday. I'm like, I'm so awkward. I sing along too. Like, <laughs> so weird. I start saying happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Um, and then like, really, like it's, do you mean, when you say happy birthday, do you mean it? Like, when I say happy birthday to someone, do I really mean it? It's another one of these awkward things. Like, I don't go up to you today and be like, happy Sunday, guys. <laughs> or, like, happy Monday morning. Hope you enjoy your Mondays. Like, one day a year, we, we hope that you actually have a decent day. The other 364. Do you know what? I hope they're mediocre. Um, and then also, I love how we just, like, like, birthdays, we just celebrate survival. Like, good on you. Like, you've survived another year. Let's celebrate that. Well done. Um, but the one thing I really hate about um, birthdays is 
when the next day, or, or the same day it's your birthday, they come up and, so I'm 25, in December, the 11th of December, the 11th of December, I'm t- yes, yes, I know, I'm trying to note for peop- the people to know my birthday. Um, on the 11th of December this year, I will be 26. Um, and I can guarantee, and some of you I know, because you just like to do this, when I make, tell you a story from the stage, you like to remind me of it forever. Um, but I know that what's going to happen on the 11th of December this year, someone's going to come up to me, and I hate when they do this. They say, so, how does it feel to be 26? <laughs> like, it honestly feels no different. Like, I've, I've more pain in my body, and I'm more broke than before, but other than that. But that's the question we ask. Well, how does it feel? How does it feel being 21? How's it feel? Or another one I really am not a big fan of is New Year's Day. And we do this big 10, 9 countdown. And at the end, we start hugging people who we don't talk to. <laughs> like, go on, we'll just hug. Go on, we'll just not. <laughs> um, and then we ask, we think, like, the next day, there's this big, massive event. And the next day, like, what has changed? Like, nothing's really changed. I'm more tired than I was yesterday. But what has really changed? And we heard Stevie's story here. And we have these big events. But in, the, in the, the case of when a big event comes, what has actually changed in your life? We've heard Stevie's story. And some, a lot of you in here tonight have a similar story. That you have your before, you had an encounter with Jesus Christ. You had an experience and you became a Christian. But if we're honest, what has changed in our lives? What's changed and maybe you're in here and you don't know Jesus. And this is maybe a wee insight into what's, what, what, what does it look like? What does it look like if you become a Christian? What happens in your life? Because it's important that we realize in our lives what has changed. Because if we don't realize what's changed, then we, there's a temptation to, to fall back into life just the way it was. There's a temptation to go back. That, do you know what? Being a Christian is quite easy because actually all you need to do is come along to church, say that we sinner's prayer, and then life's just the same. And also the, the danger with if we don't know what's changed is the thing is we can just fall back into a life where it's actually not what Jesus intended. We can just make a decision to follow Jesus. And life, we don't really recognize what's changed in our lives and we can... There's the danger that we just live a life that Jesus never intended. We live a life that doesn't actually reach the extension of what he planned for our lives. And so in this passage we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see Paul outlines and makes some observations about these Corinthians, these people who have made decisions to follow Jesus and what has changed in their life. And the first observation I want to make is in verse 16. And Paul points out that they, the thing that's changed in them is they have been given a new perspective, a new perspective. Paul says, we, stop, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. And Stevie even mentioned it in his story. Beforehand, he didn't really have uh, a great understanding of Jesus. He, came to, he sort of went along to church when he was younger. And maybe you've heard about church when you were younger, or you heard about Jesus. And, and most of us, before we were saved, a lot of you were maybe saved when you were younger. For any of you who were saved maybe older and later in life, you've probably heard about Jesus beforehand. We heard about church. We heard about Christianity. And our viewpoint of it, our perspective of it, probably wasn't amazing. 
this Jesus guy was a nice guy. He'd done good things for people, but that was it. That's all we heard. He was also a bit of a maniac. Like he was going around declaring that he was the son of God. Like, mate, you're either spot on or you're, you have a few screws loose. But that was our only idea of who Jesus was. But Paul says, we once thought of Jesus from merely a human point of view, but how differently we view him now. And so most of us are okay here to say that you view Jesus differently. At one point of your life, you view Jesus as he was a nice guy. It's a wee bit weird, but like he was a nice guy. And now for most of us who've made a decision to follow Jesus, you would openly and happily admit that your life, has, your view and your perspective of who Jesus is has changed. But let me ask you this. Has your perspective of people changed? Has your perspective of me changed? Is your perspective of the person you're sitting beside changed? Is your perspective of the person that you work with, the person in your family, the person that rubs you up the wrong way, has your perspective of them changed? Or do we still view people from a human point of view? Because I said, we, we looked at Jesus from a human point of view. We encountered the love of Jesus Christ. And now we look at him through a different lens. We look at him through a different perspective. But why do I still look at you through just a human point of view? Why do I look at Jesus through a, a certain lens and I look at people through a different lens? Because Paul makes this point. Paul makes this point and says, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. And then he gives us an example. He gives us the example of Jesus. He says, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. And then he says this. He says, how differently we know him now. How differently we know him. How differently we know Jesus now because we didn't look at him through merely a, a human perspective. And church, I wonder how much we would know each other if we didn't look at each other through the perspective of a human point of view. I wonder how much we would know each other better if we looked at each other, not through a human perspective, but through God's perspective. I wonder how much we would know people in our workplace, in our families, I wonder how we would know those are enemies if we didn't look at them through a human perspective, but through God's perspective. You see, God was and still is offended by our sin. God was and God still is offended by your sin and by my sin. But he has chose, we read in this passage, reconciliation. He sent Jesus to reconcile us, to bring us close to him. And he has chose reconciliation. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't look through a human point of view. God doesn't look at you and God doesn't look at me through merely a human point of view. And in verse 19 and verse 21, sorry of this passage, um, Paul says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world, that's us, to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so although our lives carry sin, although we sin, God's perspective on us is different. God's perspective is he looks at us through the righteousness that Jesus brought. He doesn't look at our sin 
The Bible says in Psalm that, that he is, I showed this morning, he has forgotten our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so God looks at you and chooses not to see your sin. He chooses to forget your sin, but he chooses to see and look at you through a perspective of righteousness. And perspective is a choice. Perspective is a choice. You can choose to see the positive or you can choose to see the negative in people. There's this story of, of, of this family and they have these two identical twins, two boys, identical twins. And they're, they're identical in nearly all mannerisms except this one thing. One boy is an optimist. He sees the positive in everything. And one boy is a pessimist. He sees the negative in all these situations. And the parents are a wee bit, they're a bit nervous about this. They're a bit cautious and worried because in every other area and part of their lives, they are identical, except this one area, their attitude and their perspective. One sees is an optimist and one's a pessimist. And so they go to a doctor and they go along to the doctor and they have a conversation with the doctor and say, listen, um, and explain the situation. And the doctor, they have a bit of a discussion about it. And then the doctor says, okay, I'll come up with a plan. Here's, here's a bit of a plan. What I want you to do is their next birthday, the guy, the, 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 the son who's the pessimist, the one who sees negative and everything, I want you to get him a real nice, shiny, brand new bike. Get him a real good bike, um, shiny, brand new. Don't get him a second-hand one. Get him a bit new one with the, the latest stuff, all the trick nuts and everything. Get him lights, the, the whole works, the whole shebang. And your other son who is, a, who is a, a, an optimist, get him a box, wait to hear this, of manure. Get him a box of manure. And they're like, really? This is, this is the, what we're paying you for to give us this advice? But lo and behold, they decide to go along with it. So the next birthday comes up, and they're a wee bit cautious of this because they've treated both the sons up to this point exactly the same in everything they've done. But they say, okay, we'll go along with this. So the birthday comes, and, uh, and the, the, the son that is the pessimist, the one that sees the negative, they give him his brand new shiny bike. Give him his brand new shiny bike. And what does he say? He looks at it, and he's excited a bit, but then he goes to say, well, this should be great. I'll probably crash it and break my leg. And the parents are like, that hasn't changed much. And then there's the other son, and they're a wee bit nervous. He's going to open this. And, and so there's this box of manure, carefully tied in together, box of manure. And he, he opens it up, and, and he looks at it, and he's a wee bit puzzled. And the parents are like, holding their breath. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen? And next minute, he gets up and starts running for the door. And they're like, oh, dear, this is awful. Like, what was this doctor's advice? Why has he done this? And as this happens, he's running out the door, and he says, ah, there's no way there's this much manure and no pony, so where's the horse? And he goes running outside looking for the horse. But there's this idea of perspective is a choice. You have a choice of whether to have a positive or a negative perspective, depending on no matter what your situation you go through, no matter what. And Paul's outlining here that we don't look at things, we don't look at people, through a, through a human perspective anymore. We don't look at them through what we used to. We have saw Jesus. We have seen that Jesus was just this nice guy. We used to have this perspective, this idea of him, but that has changed because we have encountered him. And now we have a new perspective. I wonder if we would love, want God to go back to his old perspective of us. Because I certainly would hate that. I would hate for God to look at me the way he, he maybe did when I had my sin. But now he has chosen to see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything I've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 16, 
It's nice for you and it's nice for me to defend ourselves. If you do something wrong, if you make an error, if you wrong someone, if you hurt someone, it's nice for this to defend us. I'm all good for using this as, as ammo. If someone says, David, why'd you do that? I'm all good for using this versus ammo to defend me. But the challenge comes when, what if someone else has hurt you? What if someone else has wronged you? What if someone else has betrayed you, has done you wrong? What if someone else has said something that hurt you? You see, we, we don't really want to, we don't want someone to come to us with 2 Corinthians 5, 16, do we? We don't want them to say, you should be looking at me through, through a different perspective. But unfortunately, church, this book is not a menu. This book is not the Argos book that you pick up for free and you just fold the wee pages of the verses that you like. Yes, there's verses in here that will help you through difficult times. But unfortunately, if we've made a decision to follow Jesus, we need to apply this whole thing, every single part of it, not only to my life, but to your lives. I need to look at you not through the human point of view that I used to, but I need to look at you through a different perspective. I need to look at you through a different way. I need to make a choice. And Pip sure this morning, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to make that positive choice. It's not always easy to look through the positive perspective, but we need to make that choice because perspective is a choice. And that we no longer have an excuse. We no longer have excuses to view people in a different way. We no longer can look and, and say, well, they did this, they said that. We've no longer, because we have a choice what way we're going to view Paul is saying, you used to view Jesus like this, now you view him a lot differently. And how better do you know him? Paul is saying, there's actually something better about knowing people when you choose to look at them in a, per, a positive perspective. What way are you looking at people? In a worldly view or in a godly view? Paul goes on to say in verse 17 that not only do the thing that's changed in our life is that we have a, a new perspective, but we have a new position. Verse 17 Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Some of you, if you're reading from the ASV translation, may say, anyone who is in Christ, anyone who is in Christ. The message says this, it says, now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone and a new life begins. Paul says, whoever is in Christ is new. Whoever is in Christ is new. There's two things there. You're in Christ and you are new. And new is the one we, we cling to, isn't it? Stevie shared his story and he shared how his, his life has changed. He is a new creation. His story and his perspective, his, his attitude, his behavior, it's all different. It is new. We're given a clean slate, a fresh start Psalm 103.12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. But there's also this other bit that says that we are in Christ. That we are in Christ. We have been given a new position. And I, I watched this video, this TED Talks video. And this guy talks about, there's a guy called Charlie Kim. Charlie Kim is the CEO of uh, a company in America called Next Jump. It's a, it's a tech company. And Charlie Kim um, was speaking, and he says that uh, you would never, if your child had done something wrong, if your child had make, made a mistake, you would never let them go in your family. You would never let them go. You would never say, you made a mistake, away you go, or you're not keeping up on the mark, 
away you go. And so he says, but why do we do it in our organizations? Why do we do it in businesses? Why do we do it on our companies that if someone makes mistakes, if someone doesn't perform well, then we need to let them go? He says we would never do that. And so he implemented a policy in his company, Next Jump, um, a policy of lifetime employment. Did anyone who, who got a position in their, jo- in their company, they had an employment for life, that they could never be fired due to performance issues. A bit like if your child or, or someone got like a, a bad mark in their, in their report card, they would, you would never just say, right, pack your bags, you're going. Away you go. We would never do that. And so he says that in this company, that if you, if you get a job, then you have employment for life. And if you have performance issues, then they will coach and support you and they will help you along. And similarly for us, in terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of being accepted as making a decision to follow Jesus, we now have a lifetime employment. And I want us to remember this because several times in the Bible, we, we hear passages where Paul will say to the, the, the church in the letters he is writing, he said, come on, we need to get past these spiritual milk things. We need to get past these points. And it's time that we again got past this point that we no longer work to a position We no longer as followers of Jesus work for a position. We now work from a position. We no longer need to work to think, I need to just keep myself in the kingdom of God. I need to keep myself in my position as a Christian. I need to work hard to keep that. No, we have been made and adopted as sons and daughters. And so we have lifetime employment in the kingdom of God. We have made a decision to follow Jesus and we cannot, you will not be, God will not kick you out for performance issues. But we now, we work from a position. Paul's saying you are in Christ and you are in this place of righteousness. And so you don't work for a position, you work from a position. And I shared this point in, on Friday uh, with 412. And I want to say it here in church as well, because I felt as I was preparing this as well, I wanted to share. Oftentimes this is a thing that we think then, well, what's the catch with this? What's the catch? There must be a catch. With everything else in life, there's catch. Where's the small print? Where's the terms and conditions? But verse 18, Paul says, this is a gift from God. This is a gift from God. He wanted to bring you closer to him. He wanted to bring those who were far near to him. And the catch is that it's a gift from God. He wants you to be close to him. And we can miss out on the favor of God because we're focused on the flaws but, God, but Paul says in 20, verse 21, God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin that we could be made right with God through Christ. So we have our new perspective. We have a new position that you are in Christ. And Paul goes from in verse 18 to verse 20 to talk about he, God has given us a new purpose. Verse 18 says, And God has given this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Listen to this. God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through you. God is making his appeal through you. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God has made us righteous through Christ. He has gave us a new position in church. Now it's time for us. It's now our responsibility to share that news with others. There's this other story of this guy who, who's applying for a job as an usher in a, in a theater. 
in a, like a, a sort of mall type thing. Um, and he goes in for the interview for this, this position as an usher. And they say to him in the interview process, they say, so what, what, what happens, what would you do in the, in the case of a fire, in the case of an emergency? And the guy I planned for the job says, it's fine. I know how to get out. I know how to escape. I know the, the routes. I know the exits. And they say, yeah, that's great, but the people who you're ushering don't. And your responsibility is to help them, help them point them in the way to escape when there's a fire. And I know for me, definitely this, I've been guilty of this as a Christian, that I know that when I think about the second coming of Jesus or I think of, of God coming to take us, I think, well, do you know what? I'm okay. I know I'm getting in. I know I'm getting through the door. But my responsibility, Paul says in verses 18 to 20, is that's not your responsibility. Christ has made you an ambassador so that you can show people the way, so that you can say, I know the way to go. I know how to save. I know someone who will save you. I know someone who will get you away from this end of, of a life in hell. I know how to get you away from this. That is our responsibility. That is what we are supposed to do. It's not enough that our lives have been transformed. The responsibility is to help others. Verse 20, God says, God, God, or Paul says, God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through you. I want to encourage you. There's so many people that you come in contact with every single day that I, I will never come in contact with. There's people you come in contact with every day that some of us will never, ever come in contact with. And so maybe they're the people that only you, God, can make his appeal to through you. And so I want to encourage you, your responsibility is to, to tell these people, come back to God. Come back to God. And we hear through Stevie's life, it, it does it, an invite, and that's what it was, an invite and then God done the rest. An invite, and this guy's life is transformed because of that. I love this graphic on the screen. I love this graphic because it shows so many people, so many lives, and these are just some of the lives that have been transformed. Some of the lives that have been transformed, similar to Stevie's, that have went from old to new. They, these people have had an encounter with God. These people have been reconciled into the kingdom of God. And I love this because these are stories of people whose lives went from old to new. And they're just a portion of it. And I want to say, church, that your story matters. Hearing Stevie share his story, that matters. What your encounter and your experience of God and his reconciliation matters. God is using you to make that appeal to other people. Don't ever look at your story as less than others. Your story matters. God makes his appeal through you. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me as I come to a close here. See, there is so much power in the before and after. There's so much power in before and after. Me and Kelsey on, on Tuesdays now are watch Great British Bake Off. Who's a GBBO fan? Come on. Come on, Stephen. He's going to win it. We, I love Great British Bake Off because, number one, we get to have something, depending on what, with the week they're making, something on a cup of tea. Um, so I think last week was pudding week. Um, but also I love it because we see, literally, you see the before and after. You get to watch the process. You get to see them take, they, they just have a bunch of ingredients. And then they make out this ridiculous masterpiece at the end. And there's something really powerful about the before and after. 
Another thing is, you, I'm going to embarrass myself here, but a number of years ago I done a, um, a workout thing, a P90X workout thing, and I had to do, it tells you, to do like progress pics to, to show what you're, you look like before and at the end of it. And a lot of the time, like I did the full 90 days and no one will really know, no one will really know what like my day to day, no one would have seen any of the differences in, in me before and after, but there is power looking at the before and after. There's power looking at what was like I like before to after. And similarly in your life, many of you maybe have bumped into Stevie loads of times, shook his hand on the way in. Maybe you didn't know his story, but hearing a story of this person who, here's his life before, and here is his life after. And what has changed? Getting to see the change in his life. There is so much power in the before and after. And so this week, church, I want to encourage you to share your story, to share your story of what has changed in your life, to share your story with someone you maybe drive to work to, to someone you go to commute to work to, with someone who you maybe sit beside in uni, someone you sit beside in the workplace, with a friend who you're spending time with tomorrow at the lunch table, whatever. I encourage you to share your story. Share your story because there is power in your story. There is power in what God has done in your life. And I want to encourage this, that God has, has not just brought you into reconciliation with Him and just to leave you there, just to potter on through life, but God has wanted to change some things. God has wanted to give you a different perspective, to give you a different position and a purpose. So let's, I want to encourage you to go out this week and and make sure your perspective is a choice to see the best in people. Paul says, how differently have we known Jesus because we've seen him? How differently do we know him? And the final thing I just want to share is 2 Corinthians. We just read five, the end of verse 5. I just want to read the first two verses of, of chapter 6. Paul says, as God partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. And indeed the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I'm gonna ask you to stand. And I just wanna encourage you, this week, I beg you in fact, don't just hear this. Don't hear and accept what God has done in your life and then ignore to go and share it with someone else. But I beg you to go and share your story. To go and tell someone your story and invite them to church. And you have no idea. A couple of months, we could have them on the stage sharing their story of how God has changed them, how one invite caused them to see that they are now in Christ, a new creation. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the testimony of Stevie. God, I thank you for his life, God. God, I thank you that it's, it's so good and so clear to see the, uh, you working in him and working through him, God. And I thank you even to hear him share, God, of the things that you're speaking to him now, God, that it's time to step up the pace. And God, we're excited to see as he steps this pace up, God, as he continues to chase after you. But God, we thank you for his life and how you have reconciled him and brought him into as a son, into your family, God. We thank you for that reconciliation. We thank you that we are stand righteous with you, God. And God, we just pray, would everyone realize tonight, God, the power in their story? Would they see what, what has changed in their life and would they actively pursue that, God? 
Would we actively pursue, not just to make a decision to follow Jesus and then not much of it in our life to change, but to, to see how we view people differently, the way we viewed you. That our position is not something we work for, but we work from. And Father God, allow us to, you to use our lives to appeal to other people, to come back to God. Father God, use us this week in whatever aspect of life we go through, God, whether in school, university, our jobs, our homes, into the shops, in the streets, whatever it is, God, would you use us and we would see many come to know you. We would see many reconciled to the Father in Jesus' name.